We are in part two of a series we're doing. We're wanting to land the year in, in style. We want to land the year in, in power, not, not eking, slowing down, landing the plane, get ready for some holidays. We want to remind us of why we're here. Mark Twain said this incredible quote. He said that there are two important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. And we want to remind us why we are here above the Monday to Friday, above the humdrum, above the 50 weeks working hard for the two-week vacation, above all of that. Why are we here? Why do we do this week in and week out doing services? What is underpinning all of this? Well, I want to kick us off by taking us to the 21st of July, 1969. An American astronaut, Neil Armstrong, became the first person to walk on the moon. He stepped out of the Apollo 11 lunar module and onto the moon's surface in an area called the Sea of Tranquility. And he said the famous words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That story is uh, as famous as as famous goes. But what we might not know, and I want to just keep bringing to our attention, I mentioned a few weeks ago about this understanding of the man who was the second man on the moon. Not Buzz Lightyear, but Buzz Aldrin. And Buzz Aldrin, before he stepped out and followed Neil Armstrong's steps and on, those, on that fateful day in 1969, this incredible moment, summer of 69, he stood in the, in the lunar module and he took out a, a, a three by five card and he read on it, John 15, which says Jesus' words, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And as he was about to step out, he took the NASA-approved communion meal that he took up there, the bread symbolizing Christ's body, the blood, the, the, the wine representing Christ's blood on the cross, and he took communion, the last supper before he stepped out the, on the first steps on the moon. He had communion, and he said, why did you do this? He said, before I was gonna step out into a place where no man had ever been, I want to remind myself that there was one who had been there before. And something in that has just stirred my heart afresh when we go to the Bible and we see in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus is speaking before he goes back to the Father. He says to his disciples, a motley crew of men and women who are unqualified, who are scared, witless, they're in the minority, they're not this powerhouse community, they're a community at, at best numbering 120 people, but Jesus stands before them and says this in Acts one, verse eight, you shall receive power. That word power is dunamis, dynamic, dynamite, power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In this moment, this is in a sense like JFK at the start of the 1960s saying, we will have a man on the moon. It seemed impossible. It's like Edmund Hillary saying, I am gonna climb Mount Everest. It's like Roald Amundsen saying, I'm going to the South Pole to go where no man has gone before. Jesus was saying to the church, the early church, this is your Everest. This is your South Pole. This is the moon mission. Go into all the world. And this is the power I'm gonna give you to do this. And it's a reminder to us in the very beginning, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm not commissioning you to go and start nice, safe, secluded, sanitized churches and be churches on the block and just be a nice religious option for people who are searching. No, he says, no, I'm sending you as wild, barbarian, rabid, foaming at the mouth into the wild people, a people who are untamed, who are unnamed, who say it's not about our, our glory and our fame, actually, but we're going into the wild with the message of Jesus. He's releasing the church and putting a, a firecracker underneath who we are, and he's reminding us, he's giving us power, 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 to do what? To be his witnesses, to be the people who've experienced him, You've seen and heard, and now we go and tell. That is the very mission and mandate of the church from the get-go. I said it last week. 
but Jay-Z and Kanye West lamented in 2011 that there's no church in the wild. And they were saying, actually, there's churches on every block, but there's no one meeting us on the streets. And I said, ah, yeah, that was because they hadn't met Life Changes Church yet. A people who are not born for comfort, a people who are not born for complacency, a people who are not born just to be a church on the block, but want to be the city on the hill whose light cannot be hidden. A people who say, we don't want to just fill buildings, we want to fill cities. A people who say that we're not just here to rearrange the seats on the Titanic because we are people who are not here to try to see who we can keep, but we're rather on the mission of who we can reach. As one famous preacher says, we don't want to just be keepers of aquariums. We want to be fishers of men. I love that because church can so quickly become that where it feels like we're just trying to keep an aquarium neat and tidy, keep people coming back, keep giving them enough food just to keep them to circle around and come back the next time. When I go, no, 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 that's too small. That's too boring. And if you want to say, why are my Christianity so up and down? Why am I so easily bored and, 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 and complacent in this journey? It's because we've lost the mission, the very heartbeat of what Jesus has called us to. I've seen it before, but I keep saying it to my own heart to remind my fickle heart that tends to comfort so easily. COVID, height of it, we sing at home, and in one of my lowest moments, I go, what if nobody comes back to our churches? All our services on a Sunday, what if we like, oh, no, we're back, and everyone goes, we're fine. Then I was like, what, what happens, Fee? Fee, thank God for her, the voice of sanity, the voice of biblical reason in my heart. She said to me, well, then we'll just go reach a whole bunch more. And I'm so glad that you all came back, praise God, because I like doing it with my friends. It is cool. But it reminded me that this is a city for over three million people who are desperate to hear the good news of Jesus. And actually, God put life changes here not just to be another option for Christians on a Sunday. We were put here as a beachhead to populate heaven and plunder hell. That's what I want to buy. And I want to keep reminding us that that is the dream of my heart. This 5 p.m. service, the dream inside of my heart is that this room would be too small. That actually we're going to have to, week in, week out, we're going to start putting out new, new, more chairs. Not because people from other churches are coming to have a look. No, 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 no. But because the people, the lost, the last, the least are being drawn in. We are about to put a big sign up. We've got a permission to put a beautiful sign. The sign is on the front, uh, the, uh, across there of uh, Bosman's Dam Road and on the front here. It's going to look epic. We're hoping that many will be drawn to it because of that. But my biggest prayer is that people would come to church and I'll say, how did you get here? And they'll say, it wasn't the sign, it was them. It was him, it was her. They the person, in a sense, they are the signs and wonders. That's what the Bible called us. We are signs and wonders. We are signs pointing to Jesus, making them wonder how good God could be. Because if he can use you, baby, he can use me. This is the reality. I've got a dream of our car park on a Sunday night so full, but not just of one people driving on their own, but cars coming in four or five, it's like a clown car, six, seven, eight people getting out, and it's like, well, because I had to pick up seven people en route. And we actually are arguing amongst us of, hey, uh, who are you going to bring next week? And it's because we're a people on a mission, not trying to fill a building, but because our hearts are saying we want to fill a city. We want to be on the front foot. We don't want to just come to do church alone just for my aquarium moment to fill me up, Lord. But actually, no, we want to be on the front foot saying, God, what have you got for us? This is the reminder of the series to us because uh, I want to keep reminding us we are doing a, two carol services here on Sunday the 3rd of December. 9.30 and 5 p.m. And the reason we're doing carols is not because you guys love singing carols that much. I'm, I know it will be outstanding. We'll sing the carols. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. We'll eat some mince pies. It'll be wonderful. It'll get you in the Christmas mood. I promise you we'll love it. But the, here's the secret. Underneath that, the reason why we're doing it is because we want to reach people who are far from him. 
So I want to say, would you partner with us in that? This is me giving us the reality. We're not putting on an event to go, wow, look how cool they are. We're doing this so we can reach people for Jesus. We're having a petting zoo outside. outside. So yeah, we're going to have llamas spitting at you. Why? So people would come to see and find Jesus. Through the llama, we want to do it. But I want to encourage us. This is why we're doing it. In the sense, the star led the people to Bethlehem. Follow the star. Philippians 2 says, you as Christ followers shine like stars in the crooked and depraved generation. You, we are the signs. We are the stars that are leading people to the Christ. Can people, if they took their cue off us, would they find their way to Jesus? I want to give us the book of Acts. Jesus says, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, ends of the earth. It's Everest. It's impossible. It's the South Pole. No one would ever go there. The moon, no ways. You'll go where no man has gone before, where no woman has gone before. The book of Acts is 28 chapters long. Chapters 1 to 7 is the gospel going out into Jerusalem. Chapters 8 to 12 takes place in the areas called Judea and Samaria. And chapters 13 to 28 is the the church setting Paul and Barnabas aside to take the gospel where? Into the Gentile world. As far afield, chapter 28 ends in Rome, to the furthest place they could know in that modern day. It was the literal ends of the earth. The mission Jesus gave them was fulfilled in 28 chapters. The impossible happened. But let me be honest and tell you up front here tonight, it was, it was not impossible. And, but I want to tell you, it was also not easy. This was no cakewalk. And I want to remind us that actually every t- where the gospel went, if you read through the book of Acts, it's not just one highlight reel after another of amazing, wonderful moments. No, it's wherever the gospel goes, there's either riots or revivals. One famous preacher says, wherever Paul went, there was riots or revivals. People wanting to kill him, stone him, drag him off to jail, or giving their lives to and whole communities turning around. He says, wherever I go preach, we just serve tea. It's a little bit of an indictment sometimes when actually that is the, 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 the launching of the gospel came with such a, a radical edge that actually I think sometimes we have sobered up too easily. We have luke, become lukewarm and apathetic in our response when God said, no, I want to get my, my church on the front foot again. This is the reminder to us is that actually throughout the whole of the book of Acts, and here's my disclaimer, this is going to be a good one, is there's one prison cell after another. And I couldn't get away from that. Chapter 4, there's a prison cell. Chapter 5, there's a prison cell. Chapter 12, there's a prison cell. Chapter 16, there's a prison cell. Chapters 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 27, 28, they're prison cells. That's the book of Acts for you. Praise it. And I want to help us in this moment Remind us what we were made for. We were made for the moon. We were made for the stars. We were made for the impossible, the out there. God says, I have something big for you, church. Stars. But I want to tell you, the way it's going to come might be behind bars. The title of my sermon is Stars and Bars, because it just sounded cool. Stars and Bars, people. But when I thought about it, because I had to remind my fickle heart, my lukewarm, tepid heart that wants comfort, that wants ease, wants my nice verse of the day, and then leave me alone, but actually, I want to re- remind my heart, as Lucy said to Beaver in the Chronicles of Narnia, said about Aslan, is Aslan safe? Beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. This is the reminder to us that this is not going to be safe. This is wild. And this is the call of the heart of the gospel. Jesus is saying, into the wild we go. And I pray the church of Jesus Christ tonight here at the 5 p.m. will own this together. Father, I pray for your word right now to come and settle on our hearts. Awaken the slumbering giant. 
Awaken your sons and daughters. Awaken us to the cry of your people. Awaken us to the cry of our king who says, let my people go. Whom shall go for me? Here I am, send me, Lord. Awaken us as we step out of our comfort, out of our convenience, out of our preference and our prejudice into the wild. I thank you for this, in Jesus' name, amen. Briefly, I wanna take us through four prisons that we find in the book of Acts, and I think this will help us and will challenge us. The first one is the prison of injustice. The prison of injustice. It happens in Acts chapter four, but the backstory happens by chance in Acts chapter three. That's profound. But Acts chapter three is the narrative of Peter and John walking on their way to temple to go and worship, on their way to church, and outside at the gate beautiful, they meet a man who's been, uh, who's been crippled for 40 years, paralyzed for 40 years. And I just love the fact that this, is, this healing, this miracle that happens, doesn't happen in the temple. It happens outside on the way to temple, on the way to church, on the way to the moment. So often we're waiting for the gathering. God says, no, no, I want to remind you that actually church happens not just between five and six on a Sunday, not between early morning on a Sunday. No, it's actually an everyday reality. You and I are the church. This is who we are called to be, called to carry this into our Mondays. TGIM, people. Thank God it's Monday. Let me add it. But it happens on the way, and I always lament thinking this guy has been there for 40 years outside the church building, and the church have maybe given him a few coins, stepped over him, but no one's engaged with him for 40 years. 40 years, just business as usual. We gotta get to the service. We gotta get to our Mondays. We gotta get to our spreadsheets. We gotta get to, and God says, actually, I'm waiting for people who'll be interrupted and allow the, the, divine, the divine suddenness of heaven knock in at the door of our ordinary. God, what are you wanting to do? Who are you putting across my path? This guy gets healed, silver and gold, we have none. But in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, he does. And walking and leaping and praising God, this guy, his whole world is turned upside down. But not just his world, the whole city. The whole city are in an uproar. There's excitement. People can't believe it. They know this guy. And his story has changed. He's walking. But so too, the religious elite saw it. See it. And they, they haul him in front because they say, this is, this is not business as usual. They said, how did you do this? And who, in whose name did you do this healing? Who gave you permission to do this healing? It's like this weird, weird, bizarre uh, rhetoric. I don't understand. They see the healing, but they're, they're angry with these guys. So what they do is they, they come and they arrest them. Then they put them in trial. They actually then give them a great reprimand and say, stop doing this. We don't want to hear you preaching this name ever again. So the disciples then are released from jail. And the first thing they do is they go back to the waiting church, this church in infancy, but a church who are in the wild. And they go to him and say, we need to pray. So they pray at that moment. And, and let me be honest. If I had to say right now, if I don't know the rest of the story, what would Gabe Phillips be praying if I've come out of jail and I've, been, and I've been illegally held, I've been questioned for something, I've done good. It's, I can't believe these guys would go to such a fuss, a taxpayer's expense, how can they do this and house this in jail? And I'm like, church, we need to pray. You know what I'll be praying? Justice, vengeance, retribution. Rain down fire on this government, Lord. Does this, this wicked religious elite just destroy them? But that's not what we find the church in the wild, the early church doing. Verse 29 of chapter four says they prayed this prayer. Now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May, mirac many, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The scripture in verse 31 goes on and says, after this prayer, 
after this prayer for more boldness, after this prayer of saying, God, we're not backing down, even though it might, it might cost us our lives, it might cost us our reputation, it might cost us what people think of us, it might cost us inconvenience, we're gonna pray now, God, give us greater boldness to preach your word. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. I love the fact that the, the first mention there after, after Pentecost of the Holy Spirit falling on the church again was after they prayed for more boldness to preach his word. So often churches are, are praying, God, give us your power. We want power. We want power in our meetings. And I think heaven goes, but I said in Acts 1.8 what the power's for. Not for you to have wonderful, beautiful aquariums, but to reach the world. Power for the mission. This is the reality for me, is that I want to keep reminding us, maybe you're in a situation right now where it feels like you are hard done by, overlooked, disappointed. Maybe you've been handled badly at work. Maybe you feel hemmed in, and you just, you, you, there's prayers you want to pray. God, get me out, God. Divine retribution, and you want all these scenarios. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you see your circumstance as a prison or a platform? Do you see your circumstances as a prison defined by the enemy or a platform orchestrated by God to get his gospel out? Secondly, there's a prison not just of injustice, but the prison of inadequacy. The prison of inadequacy. Acts chapter 12 is this narrative. It starts the chapter with a political despot called Herod on the throne. James, the apostle, just had his head chopped off. Peter is in jail, and the church are terrified. This church in the wild, they're going, what have we got ourselves into? It'll be much easier just to be a church on the block. Come, come, come in. We'll give you a coffee. Cheers. We won't cause a disruption. But no, they've, they've gone all in on this, what Jesus called them to do, and it's landing them in hot water. Herod's on the throne. Peter's in jail. The church are terrified. So what they do, right in the middle, they pray. They start to pray. Chapter 12 ends with Peter set free. The church are increasing and numbers are being added to them daily. And Herod, the political leader, is dead. One chapter. I love this reality because when I read it, I see so often my own heart. I go, who am I? Who are we in our minority, in our smallness? In our, we are insignificant compared to the political powers, the, the relational powers, the sociological powers at work in the world and the, the rhetoric that's going on. What little can we do? But I see so often we, get, we, we, we pray away our inadequacy and we, we pray for someone else, God, use them, bless them, do it. When God says, no, I put my church there in the wild. So often we say this reality, I just do, I just do some spreadsheets. Gabe, it's cool for you. You've got a microphone you can preach, but I do spreadsheets. I just clean buildings. I just look after kids. Fill in the blank. Well, Ephesians 1 verse 20 reminds me again and again of this truth. It says, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Let me say it again. Ephesians 1.20 says, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral, is sidelined to the church. The church is Christ's plan A. We are not some by an agenda on the side if we get to No, this is what God has gone all in on. This is what Christ died for. This is what Christ prays for. This is what Christ is coming back for. His bride who are on the mission for him. This is the very essence of who we are. I say it again, divine power is knocking at the door of our ordinary, saying, will you let me in? 
So much so, Peter is released dramatically from prison by an angelic visitation because the church are praying. The church are praying. I'm telling you, I don't think they had in mind they'd never seen or encountered what a miraculous releasing from jail would look like. So I don't think they even had that in their reference to pray for it. They probably was like, oh God, just make sure that the death of Peter like James is quick and painless. That's probably what they're praying. I don't know what they're praying. But God says, yeah, you think you're inadequate. You think you're just making up the numbers. He says, angelic has come, waken Peter up. He come, Peter, open the prison door, walks Peter out. Peter walks, arrives at the prayer meeting while they're praying. He knocks at the door, and the church are still so praying that the, the slave girl opens up and says, hey, a servant says, hey, Peter is at the door. They go, no, it must be his angel, it must be his ghost. They're not even expecting it. But God says, actually, I want to remind you, you're not inadequate. I put you on the front lines. And keep reminding us that you and I have more authority in the city than the mayor. Let me say that right now. You and I have more authority in the city than the mayor. God spiritually has set you and I in this place. He has divinely set apart the times and places we should live so that men should reach out. He has placed you in that school. He's placed you in that business. It is the eternal hands of God. He said, you shall be there so my eternal plan can come together. This is when we have to remind our hearts do we see our circumstances as a prison or do we see it as a platform? Thirdly, I want to remind us of the prison of prejudice. In Acts chapter 16, we see a next prison. Apostle Paul and Silas on a mission preaching. They've gone to a place called Philippi, the ends of the earth. And as they arrive there, they meet a lady called Lydia. She encounters Jesus through their ministry. They start a church in her home. And then they realize this church is growing, it's, 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 it's bursting at the seams, it's this incredible community, this counter community, a small community. But Paul reminds them, hey, do we not just to be here, just to exist for a small community in here, we exist for the world. So they go out onto the streets, and that's where we encounter a slave girl who's filled with a, a demon. And as she's following them around, causing a, a ruckus, Paul turns and rebukes her and sets her free of the demoniac. Sets her free. She is set free. She comes alive. Oh my word, and she encounters Jesus in a radical way. And you think everyone would be going, yay! No. Because the people who, who owned her, who got a, a source of income from her demonic gift, were infuriated. So they incited a riot against Paul and Silas. They had Paul and Silas arrested, stripped, beaten, thrown in jail. And it's this, this moment where Paul and Silas are sitting there, and the scripture says in Acts 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were dashed. If you don't know the next sentence there, if I'm honest again, if it was Gabe and Fiona, after we have started a church community, we've gone on the streets, we've set someone free from a demon, we've had a great day of ministry. People should be applauding us. But now they've thrown us in jail, we're stripped, beaten, we're hurting, it's about midnight, it's cold, we're angry, we're sitting there, we're tired. About midnight, Gabe and Fiona, what were we doing? I would be writing a strongly worded email to someone in high authority. I'm writing a Hello Peter review, one star, never coming back. I, I, I'm moaning, I'm groaning, I'm complaining to anyone who would lend their ear to me about how, how terrible my situation is. No, but that's not what Paul and Silas do. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. But what I love about this response is the very next line says, and the other prisoners were listening. I think this moment... I just felt faith there, Sonny. Thank you. Oh, come on. <laughs> but is this reality? 
that we so often forget. We get so confined and defined by the prison that we, that we think we're in. We forget that there's a world of, of other people who are shackled who are listening at the door and saying, how will you respond, church? And we're moaning. We're writing Facebook comments. We're complaining. I just want to get out this job. The boss is the worst. And there's enslaved people who are saying, we just want to see, is there something different about you? Is there someone who's pointing us to something different? I tell the story is that my mom and dad and I, we moved from Zimbabwe to Durban in 2003, and we left with just the bags on our back. We left a, a big property, and we exchanged it for a one-bedroom flat in Durban. There was a generous, somebody let us rent free from a church in Durban. And we stayed there. My dad, who left a big company, now is in Durban in his mid-50s, can't even get a reply to a CV. And month after month after month this went on, this, this, this dance of going for a job interview, coming back devastated and feeling weaker and weaker as a, as a provider. We're sitting in a tiny one-bedroom flat, the three of us in one room together there. And I'd go to school every day and I'd come back and I'd leave in the morning. My dad, what he would be doing was he would be on his knees with the Bible and he'd be praying and honoring God and worshiping God and asking God, would you make a breakthrough for my family? I'd come home. My dad, I'd say, how did the interview go? not so great, so my dad will end the day by worshiping, praying, asking God, thank you for your favor, thank you for your goodness. I was 15 going through my own insecurities, my own addictions, wrestling this thing of faith and saying, is it actually real? And as my dad, who was in that moment imprisoned, confined, if I can stretch that analogy, in a small environment, away from his homeland, away from all his CVs, away from his relationships, and I was trying to find his way in this world, and he was battling his own, wrestling his own demons, his own insecurities of who am I, what have I got? But I'm telling you, in that moment, there was another prisoner who was watching. Me. I, I put my faith, I tell you, my faith became genuine, not because of a preacher on a stage, but because of a dad who was imprisoned. But see, this is not going to be my prison. This is going to be my platform. I want to remind us in this moment that what other prisoners are listening to you out there in the wild? The story is beautiful. It has an earthquake. It has divine intervention. Prison doors opened. The jailer, the Gentile jailer comes and thinks he's gonna kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have left on my watch. Paul inside says, don't do it. Don't kill yourself. We are still here. Because why? For them, it wasn't even about their freedom. They realize the church in the world don't live only for my freedom. They're living for someone else's freedom as well. And the incredible thing is they get to lead that man to Christ and that man's family to Christ. They baptize his whole family, and they added to the church with Lydia, a, demonic, a previously demonically possessed slave girl, and a Gentile jailer. Why I love that is that the Jewish male would pray a prayer often. Thank you, God, that I was not born a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And the church in Philippi, the first three salvations are a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. So often we disqualify who God wants to reach through us. And God says, actually, I put other prisoners around you. It might not be in your field or might feel how you look or what you like, but actually this is who God is calling us to be, a church in the wild. I ask you again, do you see your circumstance as a prison or a platform? Fourthly and finally, for time's sake, I say that as if I've left anything else. I haven't. I've literally preached everything I've got. I apologize. I was full on lying to you guys. This is, I'm just going. At least I've got integrity. <laughs> the fourth and final prison is the prison of pain. Because you see, the book of Acts, Acts 21 to 28, yes, ends on a victorious na na notion of the Apostle Paul getting to Rome, getting an audience with government officials and preaching unapologetically the gospel. 
And in prison, he writes the book of, to the Philippians, to the church in Ephesus and, and Colossians, the Colossians book. And to, he writes to 1 and 2 Timothy. The gospel gets out further than he could ever go. But it all takes place in chains. From 20, chapter 21, when he's actually warned, don't go to Jerusalem because they're going to arrest you. And he said, if I must be arrested, I'll, even, I'll go to Jerusalem even if it's in chains for the sake of the gospel. He goes there and chapter 21 to 28 is prison after prison after prison. And the, 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 the scholars will tell us that Paul, even in chapter 28, he was eventually released for a couple years, but then he was arrested again. And in AD 67, he was martyred for his faith in jail. Paul, the great apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament, his story is defined not by with a victorious ending, but one in prison. So I say this in this moment, we do always, yeah, trust for breakthrough. We'll always pray for that. I'll always stand for you, and we'll stand for you for favor from God. We'll stand for you to encounter freedom. We'll pray for promotions. We'll pray for healings and deliverance. We'll pray for all of that. But here's my question. What happens when it seems like your prayers aren't being answered? When you have to go to the doctor again, but you thought that you'd been healed, but you have to go back to the doctor again. When your car breaks down again, when you have to teach those ungrateful kids again, when your boss calls you into the office again and you feel that's unfair. I wanna ask us, do we see our circumstances as a prison or a platform? Do we see our circumstances as a prison or potentially a pulpit that God is setting up for us before a watching world? Do we see it as a prison or maybe even a passport where God is saying, I'm gonna take you to people and places you could never imagined you would have got to? If defined to our own mechanisms, we would have defined it a different way. But God says, I might even put you in a small confined space. Not defined. You're defined by me, but a confined space for the sake of my gospel. Will you be a church in the wild? He says, actually, I'll embrace those limitations with eyes to see why have you got me here, Jesus. I take us back to Buzz Aldrin. Okay, about to step out into the moon. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he reminds his heart. Takes the body, the, the, the bread representing the body. The wine representing the blood takes communion to remind himself, I'm about to go where no man has ever gone before. But there's someone who has been here already. Reminding his heart about Jesus, the king of the universe, the one who left, in a sense, the stars, who left heaven. And he came and he condescended to such a level that he embraced the womb of a virgin woman for nine months. The king of glory. The incarnation should blow our minds that he stepped off the pulpit of heaven and stepped into the dirt and depravity of our world and was confined for nine months, lived in, the, in, the nature, in, his, in his humanity for 33 years, in, in the dust and the brokenness, on the way to the cross, taking our pain, our rejection, our sin upon himself, and on the cross, confining himself to a cross, as he hung there and they said, save yourself, call the angelic down. He could have, but he didn't. Why? Because this is the reality. When the world saw a womb, he saw the Son of God becoming the Son of Men. And when the world saw a cross, he saw the sons of men becoming the sons of God. Do you see your prison, your circumstance as a prison or a platform? As a prison or a pulpit? As a prison or a passport? God is wanting to redefine who we are because I believe this is the mission. This is the mandate for us as a church in the wild. Can we stand to our feet? I want to read one more scripture as we land. It'll be on the screen, but it's the book of Matthew, Matthew 10. Jesus 
sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge, and I believe he's saying it afresh to us. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be, be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Pick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. Stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as shrewd as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Don't be naive. Some people will question your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor. They've given you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, you'll be the ones you've tasted and seen, but now go and tell, go and invite, go and serve, go and lay your life down for people around the world, in your world, in your spaces, the other prisoners are listening. This is the Everest. This is the South Pole. This is the moon. This is the stars. God says, I've got big things for your life. But in that process, don't discount the bars, the limitations you find yourself in. Maybe they have been orchestrated by the divine hands of God for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your church, your precious church, the church that you love, the people that you bled and died for, those you gave up your divine privileges for, those you stepped away from heaven's throne for, you stepped into our humanity, into our depravity, taking on our sin and our shame. You took all of that upon us and you took it to the cross so that we could become the very righteousness of God, put into credit because of your goodness. But more than that, you've now also given us the ministry of reconciliation. And Father, we are a people who say that we may feel hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We say we might be persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We say we might be struck down, but we're not destroyed. Right now, I say our lives may be confined, but I thank you, Jesus. Right now, I declare it is not defined. Our lives are defined by the hands of the Almighty God who knows the exact times and places we should live, knows the hospitals we will go to, knows the mechanics we should visit, knows the job opportunities we should have, knows our social circles. You have put it all together so that men and women might reach out and find you. I thank you, Father God, awaken your church. Awaken us, awaken your bride, awaken your chiropractors, awaken your teachers, awaken your business owners, awaken your students, awaken those whose CVs are still out and are waiting to hear back, awaken for the stay-at-home moms, awaken us, awaken even the pastors, Jesus, to the fact we're not called to be keepers of aquariums, but fishers of men. I thank you, Father God, we believe right now that as we take a step in that direction, saying we'll be your witnesses, Jesus. We know that you've promised us that we will receive power for that mission. So I thank you right now. Pour out your power afresh. Stir us for the mission. Into the wild we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.